to the first episode of Yourself at Work. I'm Daryl Henrik, and I'm here with Kristen Masco. So just to share who we are and why we're here, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot going on the past few months uh, and really the past few years uh, in terms of well-being and mental health in the workplace. I mean, obviously tech layoffs recently, but COVID productivity, work from home, RTO, things like that. But really going back now decades to early in the tech industry about how companies have cared for their employees in a variety of ways. Um, but you and I met uh, a few months ago, despite actually being at Google for quite a bit of, uh, of overlap, but not actually running into each other. Um, and so in this, I guess, was January now, we had a... Um, uh, a great conversation just about our experiences, specifically working in kind of the mental health and well-being spaces. Um, but we also get into things like productivity and the function of organizations. And, um, you know, I think our our thought was that, hey, this conversation was actually so good that we probably should have recorded it. And we did not uh, just for the benefit of, of others, because I think we got into a, a lot of great stuff. And so we uh, decided let's have that conversation again and actually record it this time. So that's what this is. Um, but I think moreover, we also felt like we had a lot to talk about on a variety of related topics too. And we knew between us a whole lot of people that we wanted to talk with together about these topics. Um, I think we also decided we didn't want to be forever podcast hosts as far as we know, but who knows? We'll see how it goes. But thus, like this was born. Um, and so we've got so far maybe half a dozen topics and speakers lined up, but um, we'll see how it goes. So is that fair? Is that why we think we're here? Absolutely. That's <laughs> after, exactly. after writing this intro script and not sending it to you? <laughs> That's a great intro. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 as, as you said, I mean, we were both at Google for, I was there for 15 years. You were there 15, some similar 17, 17 years, um, both there for a long time and, and reconnected post Google and just realized there was so much overlap in our own experiences and, and also in the friends and colleagues that we're talking with in terms of, um, the intersection of mental health, well-being, productivity in the context of a large organization, whether it's a company or a nonprofit yeah. or an academic organization yeah. being, you know, I think anytime you get you know, more than five, yeah. you know, like tens of people working, trying to work together towards a goal that starts to span on right. a lot of people. You just start to get this, these collisions of like right. what, what's going on for each person internally. And then how are you coming together? And that's yeah. kind of what we're talk, trying to talk yeah. about is like, so it's less about individual mental health, like, which is a whole rich field. Sure. There's a lot out there. It's less about yourself as an individual, but it's more like, how does that come up and interact with colleagues and coworkers yeah. or sure. religious organizations, just like groups of people, when you're in a group of people trying to get something done, how does that, how yeah. do those issues, issues come up? And so really felt like there was a lot that um, we had in common and similar experiences we wanted to share and, and thought this could be a great forum to talk with all of you, uh, many, of, many of you who are going through uh, whether it's a transition with, with the recent tech layoffs or just transition in a post-COVID world, uh, just a good opportunity to kind of take a step back and think about uh, well-being in the workplace. So excited uh, for this limited run podcast sure. series and to talk with each other and to bring in um, other, other guests who have had insights that have been helpful to us. And we thought today we would start off just by talking to each other and... Um, do some introductions and 
share you know sort of how we how we got to this place to be able to talk about these topics um and so Kristen who are you <laughs> that's a great question um so my name who am I, who am I? Who am I? Yes. Uh, my name is Kristen Masco. Um, I kind of brief overview on my background. Um, very early interest in psychology. I studied cognitive science as an undergrad. I have my PhD in neuroscience from a very, very young age, was interested in the mind and brain and particularly just the power of the mind and brain. Like I think, you know, just on a personal note, like when I first started going to see a therapist myself and realized that if I changed things internally, I could actually exchange, change my experience of walking through the world every day mm-hmm. was just like mind blowing and really powerful. And I, I really believe like um, we, we live our lives and we experience the world through our minds and brains. And so it's something that we think is just so critical to really pay a lot of attention to in terms of our, our happiness and our ability to connect with others. So really, really deep um, long-term interest in mental health and well-being. Um, after graduate school, uh, back in 2008, I joined Google in a data science team and moved into the finance organization and had a lot of great experiences in finance. That's where I became a manager for the first time, um, ultimately became a director leading a team in cloud product finance, met phenomenal people, learned a ton about um, just the realities and complexities of trying to move in an incredibly fast paced industry where there's um, a lot a lot going on in the external market, a lot of um, time pressure, competitive pressure, and just seeing how groups of people come together um, to, to effectively work together to, to, to produce amazing products and offerings. Um, so kind of got a front row seat to a lot of a lot of the great work that, that uh, was, was being done. Um, and then really felt a pull to go back to my roots. So, so kind of having, you know, I've always had this strong interest in mental health. And in 2021, after having been at Google for 13 years in finance roles and analytics roles, uh, there was an incredible opportunity to um, be the director of employee mental health and well-being, and so to get to look at uh, mental health for individuals, but then also for teams and organizations and how we can work together most effectively. So, so uh, was was in that role um, from 2021 until early 2023, and have now really just broadened my interest to you know I think a lot of what what I experienced at Google in terms of the the balance of, you know, the the stresses that we all go through and the things that work and also the things that don't work, uh, feel a very strong sort of desire to sort of reach out to others and um, kind of share my own learnings, best practices, bring kind of people into the conversation about how to manage these things well. Um, Because I I have observed a bit of a, as, as, as much as I was saying earlier, like how much I personally have benefited from therapy. I am still in therapy. I will probably always be in therapy. I've benefited tremendously. There can be a bit of a gap between like that world, like understanding the mind and brain and, and what it, what it means to be happy and the corporate world, just because mm. there's not a lot of people that have been in both worlds and they're both important. They're just very different. And so I think there's this opportunity to kind of bring some of the best practices um, that, you know, are out there and sort of help help to apply them in the context of the workplace. And so, um, yeah, I was thrilled, Daryl, to be connected with you and and excited for the conversations we'll be having. And Daryl, uh, tell us a little bit about um, yourself and your, and <laughs> who, your background. Who the heck am I? Who the heck uh, are you? Yeah. I'm uh, Daryl Henrik. Um, 
I, it's funny, I was just thinking before, and I made, I made a note um, before we started today on, it's interesting how in sort of like transitional times of life, what do you call yourself? Um, especially when you've had an identity that was a thing for a very long time. And someone asked me, like, I don't know, I had, I had to fill out something on like, um, I think it was like an immigration form or whatever. What's my job? I was like, (laughs) it's just like a, it's a, it's taken for, for granted that you have something to put into that space. And I didn't, I think I I actually don't even know what I wrote in this, in it. Uh, I think I had to give a verbal explanation to the person or something, but, um, but And I also thought about how we probably shouldn't lead off with our self descriptor of something that is former. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I was like the thing that I would normally say is I'm a former uh, VP of engineering at Google. But that's like, what am I now? That's what I was. So but anyway, yes, that's I just did it anyway. That's what I was. Um, (laughs) But let me go back before that. So. Um, you know, life story, long version, very, very short. I um, grew up on the last little postage stamp vestige of my my great-grandfather's farm in rural Pennsylvania um, and got into tech kind of accidentally when my, my, um, my dad bought me a computer in 1986 um, that I just kind of you know, as living kind of in a, a rural place, it was play outside during the day and then at night play on the screen. Um, and that kind of led to just a, a very strong hobbyist uh, interest in computers and technology from a very, very young age, um, which ultimately led to a, um, you know, I, I had, I went to, uh, to school not really for, tech, um, but I had a great tech job, um, and I realized I was learning a heck of a lot more from the tech job than I was from, it was a part-time tech job when I was in school. So I I kind of parlayed that into, uh, and this was during the dot-com era, um, uh, doing some systems work. I actually dropped out of college. Um, not sure if I should say that I recommend dropping out of college or not, but at the time, I guess it worked out. Um, um, but... I, um, I had basically a, a computer security job during the tech, um, the tech boom in, in 2000, 2001. Um, and then I had, you know, a couple of other different, uh, jobs at startups and things like that. But I came to Google in, um, in 2005, um, as, as sort of like junior manager of the systems team doing like you know, storage and backups. That was my, my, my first little job with, um, three or four reports. And basically from 2005 to really last year, every job was the biggest job I'd ever had. Um, and I ended my Google career as a VP. Um, I think I was a VP probably for the, the last maybe four or five years of my Google career. Um, you know, and at the height, it was a team of around a thousand and I was, by the end, I was largely responsible for much of the the kind of Googler technology experience, um, basically um, any of the kind of user-facing systems were, were um, my, my area of responsibility. Um, in terms of this, even more specifically, I, in 
2005 or six, um, around that time, early Google years, I found myself in a pretty um, difficult mental health crisis um, where, you know, and this was kind of as I was up and coming as a leader at Google and, and really um, found myself, frankly, you know, full of myself and really enjoying the adrenaline of achievement and uh, always being able to solve the hard problem and patting myself on the back from it and, 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 you know, defying all expectations that either I had my, for myself or that others had for me. Um, but it actually spun me into this absolutely unsustainable mess that really led to um, what started really as a, a burnout and then led to a diagnosis of, you know, first sort of a thought of that it was an anxiety disorder but and panic disorder, but later sort of um, kind of recast actually as, as a major depression. Um, and, you know, this is now we're, we're getting on close to coming up on, you know, 18, 19 years ago, but um, um, it was by far the, the most difficult, darkest period of my life. And um, it was a very lonely, very, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what words to use besides lonely, difficult, isolating, um, hopeless period that, I mean, I was, I was fortunate uh, that it didn't go into the, the, the even darker places than it did. Um, but from a, a daily function and misery standpoint, I don't, I'm not, it, it was, it was unbelievably awful moving forward, you know, through that obviously began like as a therapy journey, um, that lasted many, many years of, of refusing to accept that diagnosis. Um, and eventually, you know, and, and spinning that into a whole hypochondria of, I don't believe the mental health diagnosis, so it must be something else wrong with my body. I became hyper aware of every little thing that might be going wrong with myself. Um, complete mess. Um, and eventually as I sort of slowly dug my way out of this, uh, through a lot of therapy, um, I, I began to, um, you know, not only accept what had happened, but start sort of climb out of the, the loneliness and despair and more into a, a place of, you know, the, the, the process that I feel like I went through was one of, um, you know, I'm limited because of this experience. I survived despite this experience. I thrive in spite of this experience and later in retrospect realized like I was thriving as a result of that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really kind of my journey as I integrated all of that into my own career as a, you know, a leader that began to share about what had happened and realized that as I became sort of, as I became accepting of what had happened to me and began to share what had happened to me and realized that there were a lot of other people that kind of were, were realized that, that came to me and said like, Hey, that's actually happening to me too. And you're the first person or that I heard talk about it in a way that, that made it safe for me to do so, or that sort of normalized it. And so long story short, I kind of made it a, um, a key part of my, my role really to be very, very outspoken about the fact that 
not only had this happened and it was extremely lonely, but to make sure that I could do whatever I could to make it okay for others, make it safe for others, use my own story as a way to give some amount of hope and normalization and and just make it okay to talk about these topics in the workplace. And yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And and just, you know, just to add my voice to the many voices you've already heard, I, I remember, I met you recently, a few months ago, but I remember when I was in a manager training course, it was either, I can't remember if it was new managers or managing managers, some, some sort of training. managing course. at scale, I bet, is what you're about <laughs> to say. Yeah, when you start managing managers, there's a training yeah. that you go through. And in that training, um, Daryl created um, a little, you know, five-minute animated video describing his mental health story. And I saw that and it had just an incredible impact on me because I think it was, no one had ever, for me, no one had ever talked about it like in the context of the job and work. Like it was always like, oh, I have, there's this world where I talk with my friends and my therapists and whatever about what's going on internally. And then there's this separate world where I talk about the projects and the timelines and so forth. And what was so beautiful for me about the video was like, just this like, oh wait, this is all, these are, I'm not the only one that's like struggling in terms of bringing these together. And this is just hearing someone that had kind of gone through that really had a, had a big impact on me. Um, so, so thank you for kind of putting, putting that out there and, and sharing it. We're actually releasing that video uh, publicly for mental health awareness month this year. Um, and it was actually this company story booth that um, took a couple of clips from different talks I had given about my mental health journey and put it together in a, in really just this like, um, yeah, I don't know. Is it, is it, is it weird for me to say that a story about myself is beautiful? But I think they just did a beautiful job of of summarizing uh, that in a format that I think is actually really, really digestible. And so, um, yeah, so look for that in, uh, in the notes below. Um, so can we just get back to intro for a second, um, just in terms of like your overall uh, career? Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, my, my career has been very, very windy. I... Um... I started in cognitive science. I studied neuroscience. I thought I wanted to be a professor. Um, kind of at each step of my life, there was a long-term plan, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm really interested in the mind. I'm really interested in the brain. So what do people who have that interest do? Well, they get PhDs and they do research and they become professors. So I'm going to get yeah. a PhD. And it was always like a multi-decade plan, right? And then as I'm doing research, I'm realizing um, I... I had briefly worked at a tech company before graduate school. And I just found myself missing the tech company. Like I, I liked the pace of it. I liked the sort of level of depth that you go into for, for analysis and decision-making. It's kind of, there's some analysis, but it's not a really high, high, as high of a level as you have in academics. And that, and then, I, and then I realized I don't want to go the academic route. I actually miss being kind of in a faster paced tech environment, which is why I went to Google after graduate school, but it was a very, um, very experiential, right? Like, I don't think I could have told you, like going into graduate school, I would have said, oh, I love research. I, like in my free time, all I do is read about research. Like, of course I'm going to love that. But it's not until you're experientially doing it that you realize, all right, there's mm. a big difference between reading about research and doing research. And I actually don't love working on something for two years that doesn't pan out. And then I have to start over. Like, mm. I find that frustrating. Whereas, you know, my husband is also a researcher and he loves that. Like he lo he does not have that the same need for closure that I have. And he loves that kind of exploration process. And so I think one of the things I've learned time and time again, and then even within Google, I, I started in analytics and, and ended up in finance. There was a lot that I loved about it. There were parts that weren't quite right. 
And like, it was this very experiential, like, which parts of my day do I look forward to? Which parts mm. of my day do I, do I dread? And just every time, I always tell this with people in kind of career conversations, like, every time you're making a career change, just like take a step towards the, do a little bit more of the things you like to do yeah. and a little bit less of the things you don't. And first of all, that's just more pragmatic. Like it's going to be hard to do a totally different job that you have no experience in. Sure. But then second of all, you're actually learning as you go. And there have been so many things that like, I like the idea of, but what I'm doing, I don't actually enjoy. Mm. Um, and so, so really just kind of having that experiential piece and then the other thing, I think this is relevant for just given the economy and that there aren't a lot of job openings right now. And so, and so I think we can really, you know, obviously we need jobs to make money, but we can narrow ourselves to like my only way of expressing myself in the world is through my job. And that mm -hmm. is just not true. And so I think one of the things when I was working in finance and wanting to get closer to mental health and psychology um, I just started volunteering. I started volunteering as a grief counselor. I'm like, this is an energy I want in my life. I want, I want to be using this in some way. And that has been one of the most amazing things that I've done over the past five years. And it's a huge part of my life and it's probably four hours a week, but it's like a defining part of my life that I, that I do that. And so that I think as people are thinking about the next chapter, whether that's in 60 days or whether you have a few months, um, I'm really a big believer in like, it doesn't all have to fit into one job and you can have a job that you enjoy and you're good at. And then a passion project, a volunteer project, a community, a something that is giving you that fulfillment. Cause I think sometimes we put a little bit too much pressure, um, on, on our jobs. Yeah. The, the, um, it's, and it's, it's like, I don't know. I just took like two notes while you were talking. Like, I, I think that the, the, the way that that Linda, who hopefully we'll get to talk to about this in more more depth in person, but she had said to me something like um, the idea of like what feels expansive versus what feels contractive. Mm. And that's just like a deep thing inside your body that just happens automatically just to pay attention to of like, oh, I like this. Like, dude, you can just feel it. It's like when you think about a certain thing, do you do this, which is like a biological response, or do you do this, right? Move toward versus move away. And the very sort of obvious, and you, you said the same thing, the very kind of, like, <laughs> it's very obvious advice, but we don't take it or we don't think about it of like, if you like a thing, do more of it. Yeah. If you don't like the thing, do less of it, which, <laughs> right? Like, and obviously, again, asterisk, sometimes we have to do things that, that we don't necessarily love, but just as a principle of like, if you're having trouble figuring it out, like your body will tell you like, yeah. does it feel like this or does it feel like this? And like, you don't have like, and I think that the, there's both, but to your point about experiential, I think that I, and I see this all the time in, in the, you know, and I don't, I don't want to generalize into just sort of like, quote unquote tech people, but I see it as a, like, I consider myself like a pretty logical thinker. And I've spent a lot of time with people who think about like, these are the steps. These are the, the, this is the plan. This is the 40, this is step 47 and step 48 when you haven't even done step one yet. And like, when I get into planning, I do the same thing of like, what will happen when I get, you know, six months down the road of this plan. And it's kind of like, like, I think, and I've cautioned people about this in my past working life of 
if you are hung up on what's going to happen between step 47 and 48 and you're on step three, <laughs> right? Like the amount of data you're going to get between step four and 46, uh, it makes that, and it's not to say don't plan ahead, but like, I think, I mean, I, I know for, for myself, it was literally like, like, um, you know, I would want to know the whole, and I, this is like, there's another biological thing here of like just personal safety or whatever it is. Like, like I want to be able to predict as far ahead as I can to correct for something that might go wrong later, whether that's in recreation, whether that's in employment, whether whatever. But I think the, and also to your point of, you know, on the research side, like you had the experience decided, oh, this as a job is probably not for me. Your husband had at some point tried it and said, this is for me. Yeah. I see so many people who have ideas of what the, what a job will be like, yeah. spend a lot of time prepping for yeah. it. And then they get there and it's a disaster or it's just kind of, or maybe not a disaster, but it's like, Oh, the day-to-day -day life of this role is actually contractive, yeah. you know, this is, you know, or, I mean, and I think even in my own career years ago, I remember like, as I was moving into more senior leadership roles, I remember getting to a place where I said, um, I never, I never want to do that. And this was my, my, probably my, my boss in like 2009 ish. I said, I don't ever want that job because it seems like that job is not something I would enjoy because it seemed like all he did at the time was, Hey, it's just doing, you know, budgets and going to meetings and stuff like that, where it was just kind of like, that seems like, I don't know, something I wouldn't like to do. And I sort of self-limited in a, like that, the, that ima the imagination of that felt contractive. And then it turned out I was essentially asked to do that job. One, I did it. I was able to do that job my way. Mm -hmm. and using my talents or gifts or whatever you want to say. And it was extremely expansive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I would have written it off if it was just the, I'm looking at how someone else does it. So, yeah, I think that the, mm -hmm. you know, the, I think that the, the point of, of go start down the path, do the thing, you will get more data. Um, it's funny just how many people I see that get trapped in this, even in recreation or something. It's like, oh, I got to figure out, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, as, a, as a motorcyclist, it's kind of like, oh, I want to go on this crazy trip and let me go figure out one of the 15 possible bikes I should buy to do the trip. And all the people who've really done a lot of motorcycle travel say, go out on the bike that you've got, see if you enjoy doing a four-day trip. The problem isn't going to be the bike that you have. You can work, you can work with that. The problem is going to be like, do you enjoy long trips? <laughs> right. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I love the way you framed it about like, um, getting like framing it as getting data, because I think yeah. so often, like a lot of people who are, you know, more analytically minded, you know, hyper educated, whatever, there's this sense of like, well, I don't want to wing it. Right. And, and I don't think anyone's advocating for just winging it, but it, but it's actually, I love the the way you 
framed it of like, if you're at step three and you're thinking about step 45, like you just don't, you just don't know. Like you just don't have the data. I mean, you can kind of gather a little bit by talking to people and seeing what different jobs are, but you know, to your point, like you saw the same job and one person did it one way that you wouldn't have enjoyed and you did it another way that was fulfilling. And so I think, um, yeah, I think acknowledging we, you know, we all have such a strong need for, for safety. And I mean, this is what differentiates human beings is the ability to plan and scenario mm-hmm. model. And it's a wonderful ability, but sometimes, um, I mean, I have a neuroscience background, right? And so there, we think so much about our more, our more recently evolved brain structures, prefrontal cortex, scenario planning, but a lot of what we sometimes talk about as like intuition, which will sound very squishy to people is actually like integrated information from lower brain areas that are, it's, it's actually information. Like it's sort of, it's like passing information. There's a reason we say like your gut feeling about something, like you're, you're kind of passing like the, the sort of integrated knowledge of all the experiences you've had, what feels good, what doesn't, that's real data, that's information. And you can layer on the critical thinking on top of that, but you can't cut that part out if you, if you want to be happy and happy yeah. have it fulfilling, fulfilling life. So I think there's the place that like people don't want to feel irresponsible. And then the other piece is I think our society is just so, um, it's just so ingrained on us that there's a right way, right? Like, 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 and I think a lot of people that end up in some of these corporate jobs were the people that were the straight A student at the top of their class doing. And so like kind of early in life, there's this very, very clear path. And so you kind of, you sort of start to believe, well, it's external. Like I just, I just have to like accomplish these goals and hits these milestones and then I'll make it there. And then it's, there's some stage in life. I don't know in your twenties, I don't know what age yeah. it is, where there's not really a path anymore. Like, and, you, and you're kind of like making it as you go and you can't until you start walking, like you keep going back to the thing you said about gathering data, like you, you can't even see it until you turn the corner. Like if you, if you think you're starting a hike or a motorcycle ride or whatever, like you can see the first, you know, however many yards of the hike, but you can't see three miles into the hike. Like you just don't even know where the trail's going to be. And so I think just convincing people, you could have a debate about whether it's desirable to do or not, but I think just convincing people, you actually can't do it. Like, like, I mean, you can, you can get some information, but you, you can't fully predict where, how things are going to turn out. You have to be incorporating your experience. I think it's fascinating actually how bad we are, and maybe you know the, the I don't know, um, scientific reason for this, but like, it's interesting that I think we are actually quite, humans are quite bad. I mean, I think there are certain areas where like, sure, I knew I was going to feel that way. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I went to that event. I thought it was, I, I expected that it wasn't going to be good and it wasn't good. But more often, <laughs> I think it's, wow, what I thought that was going to be was not remotely close to what it was going to be. And, and some of that obviously is because like, there's going to be, there's an infinite amount of data that you're going to encounter that will change how, you know, that, that will affect what your prediction would have otherwise been. However, sort of just to what you said about evolutionarily, we, part of, part of us is trying to predict, right? Like, like, and I, there was someone I used to work with who all, he, he described um, humans are just really sophisticated pattern matchers. It's like oh, when yeah. the sky is dark, it's probably going to rain or the yes. sun is going down. Like those are your two yeah. options, right? <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. I think that's exactly, I think that's like, that's what the brain is good at is pattern matching. And I think for, yeah, for decision-making, um, 
there's this great book called How We Decide, by, I think it's by John Allaire, but he sort of talks about like um, the best thing you can do if, if you're going to make like a probabilistic decision, like, you know, um, anything with gambling or math or like, like there's time where you just take out the calculator and you run the math. But if, you, if you're going to do a more multidimensional decision, like, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I live in this house? Like his uh, sort of rule of thumb that I love is exactly what you said with the motorcycle trip. Just do that thing for as long mm -hmm. as you can or, you know, do that range of options. So he said like, you know, ideally if you're going to move into a house, you know, one of which is bigger, but is a longer commute and the other of which is smaller, but closer. Ideally you come up with some proxy for, you know, maybe get an Airbnb or something, but like live in both houses for a month and see, just, just feel right. the way, you know what I mean? Like, cause we're actually not good at predicting, Oh, a longer commute seems like a small thing, but we know, I mean, yeah. a lot of the happiness literature, like commute is actually one of the biggest yeah. drivers of unhappiness just because it's right. a daily unpredictable annoyance. Whereas having an extra bedroom, for, you know, all these things depend, but like tends to not, not matter as much day to day. Um, but you, you don't know what those weights are for yourself until you experience them. Like until mm. you just, all right, what is it if I live for a month further away in a bigger house or closer? Um, it's probably not the best example post COVID where, where commutes aren't as relevant, but just the idea of like expose it. You're basically, your brain is an amazing pattern matcher. And so you're just trying to expose it to as much data and then it'll do its job and you'll, you'll feel it as a gut instinct, right? Like you'll feel the integration of all those weights as like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just, I just like, I feel good when I'm with this person. Right. And, and if, if someone, if you wanted to take a lot of time and do a study on why you could probably pick up the different attributes, but, but you actually, at kind of a subconscious level, your, your brain has matched those patterns and has integrated that information. And so I think we do ourselves a disservice. Like, I think we think we're being more precise when we're more top down and analytical and whatever, yeah. um, there's a place for that, but but, but actually, like, there, there's actual real information and in the experiential kind of instinct-based um, interest. It's interesting, the, you know, and one of the, one of the reasons that um, um, I was so excited to talk to Linda, hopefully soon, about some of this is that one of the things that, um, that one of the first times that, that she and I worked together in a coaching situation was I was having a really, really difficult time. Um, well, the, there was a, just a work problem. And she asked me, we can save some of this conversation for her, but, but it's just sort of relevant. Like she, she basically said how, um, she said, hey, do you normally enc encounter work problems of this nature that you can't solve? I said, no, this is unique. And she said, okay. So normally like really complicated stuff, you can figure out whatever, yep. And then she said, okay, so this is a unique situation. And she said, how much are you using your body to solve this problem versus your mind? I was like, this is a, this is a mind problem. So I'm using zero body, <laughs> right? This is a complicated intellectual work problem. And she's like, well, okay. Um, and we went through this long process of, um, of, and it wasn't even actually that long. It was a few weeks of coaching sessions around sort of getting out of here, dropping into here and feeling through, you know, what's the information that my body has to tell me about the problem. And honestly, like, like I wanted to roll my eyes at this <laughs> when the concept was introduced as a, as a sort of thinker. I was like, what is this hippie nonsense? <laughs> but of course it turns out, Oh, like, like, 
I mean, and we went through this crazy thing of like feeling like, what does that feel like when you, you load that problem into your soul or whatever, think about yeah. the problem, all this stuff, what's, what's going on in there. And it turned out long story short, that, um, the course of action that I needed to take was extremely emotional. It was going to result in pain for, in some painful conversations and some difficult act, actions that I was going to have to take that were going to upset some people. Yeah. And it was fascinating that mm -hmm. I couldn't come up with what actually was sort of a simple solution to the problem because deep down I was kind of like, Ooh, that solution is actually going to be painful all around. So we're not going to give you that one on your list. <laughs> yes. and, and when I found that, and I actually, it was, it was really, really actually emotional. And I was like, where is this coming? Like I started to cry in the session yeah. and I was like, what, what is going on? And then I just realized like, wow, I had this really deep block. Yes. Um, yes. And working through that of like, oh, you know, worrying about disappointing people and causing them pain and all these things. And then like, what is, and was it actually even causing pain and all, anyway, um, it was, it was fascinating how much was going on. Yes. That was, it yeah. was, I mean, it was all, and it was just like, it's a, I think it's a language. Okay. No, I think, I know it is a language that if you are a very, very up here person, you have learned like I did, I think over the years to disregard this as sort of like extraneous gibberish. And Absolutely. boy, what a mistake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I've had, I thank you so much for sharing that. And I've had a very similar journey of like, I think I just, I, if I look back on my life, I, for so much of my life was so in my head. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think it's because, and you know, I still am in my head a lot. And I, but sure. I think it's, um, I think one, there's kind of the cultural component, but two, it's a, it's a very emotionally safe place to be, right? Like, you're just like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on down yeah. there. Like, yeah. like I, there's, there's fear and anger and sadness and all these, it just feels complicated. And I think, so I think it's an emotionally safe place to be in our heads. And we're taught by our culture that like anything in our body is kind of like sort of woo woo or like, yeah. a, you yeah. know, and it, but, but it's actually, that, that was why it was helpful for me. So, so I had kind of very similar, like kind of just, just experientially, like, all right, being in my head isn't working. Let me try. Like whether mm -hmm. it's my body, my emotions, like just like, inter I just had a lot of things unlock that way. And then as I sort of thought more about it, I was like, well, that's actually, it's, it's not like this leap of faith into some woo woo thing. I mean, that, that's actually how the brain works. Like we're, there's whole, there's whole areas of our brain that we're not accessing when we're staying in just this hyper, like prefrontal cortex, um, rational way of thinking. And so I think just if, if that, I think for, um, a lot of people, the hesitation to go there is the sense that it's it's kind of mystical and just to kind of reassure people it's not mystical. You're actually, t the brain is this amazing pattern matcher. We, we evolved as human relational, emotional beings. That's a huge part. Any interaction you have at work and life and whatever, like our full humanity is in that interaction, like, like it or not. And so you can choose to ignore it because it's kind of awkward and painful, but, but at the expense of actually like bringing all the available information into the room. And so I completely relate to what you're saying about like being stuck in your head and then realizing, um, and, and for me as well, like the example you gave, like deep down, what was blocking it was around a conflict. Like I might hurt this person that, that comes yeah. up for me a lot as well. Like either 
it's usually where there's something, um, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. I'm afraid that person's going to get hurt. Like we're such deeply social animals. I think we, I think we forget that we like this, this whole modern world is very, very recent. And we're in the same brains yeah. and bodies that we're like hunter gathering, you know, and that we just have such a strong instinct, like for community and tribe and to be included and to be part of the group. And like, that is like in us to our core, like that was essential for the survival of our species. Right, right. And then we go into these work meetings and we expect that we're like just talking about the thing. Whereas like really there's all these other factors at play. There's the sense of, am I included? Am I accepted? Can I be known? Am I cared about by this group? Am I, you know, just like all these other things are happening below the surface for all 10 people in the meeting, but they're never being talked about. And then you suddenly have this like, you know, bizarre um, conflict that, emerges and it yeah yeah i started getting into the habit right before covid and then really especially during it in certain and and i didn't you know i didn't i didn't do it today i was just thinking about it of um i often was especially in maybe it was more in in things where something was likely to be taken the wrong way when i would come into an interaction um there was like early pre-COVID, um, I had attended a whole bunch of different DEI workshops, and part of the what what they um, asked us all to do in the DEI workshops were to share how you were showing up, and showing up as whether that was how you perceive your identity, your race, um, your gender, those sorts of things, and you know. It was, I'm showing up today as blank. And some of it was what you either know about yourself, what you believe about yourself. But then every now and then it would get into a little bit around not only what you, the, 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 the traits that you believe yourself to have or, or have, shouldn't say believe, but, um, but then often there would be a thing of, and I'm showing up today as someone who's very nervous to be here. Or I'm showing up today as someone who is questioning this entire meeting. Or I'm showing up today as someone who was forced to be here, but and I'm feeling a little bit closed-minded. Mm. And that part, um, I started taking into other forums, especially, where there was a, pot a high potential for misunderstanding. Yeah. Where it was like, like, because I'd often, um, you know, say it was a project review or something like that. Like I sometimes had reputations for being scary or asking unexpected questions or something like that. And it was something I was really aware of and trying to sort of dial down and make people feel more comfortable. But um, there were certain things where it's like if I was actually just really underslept or had just gotten out of a really horrible interaction the previous hour or something, the people in the room needed to know that my foundation or baseline or the way I was showing up there was not based on them. It wasn't, hey, your project is shit. It yeah. was, hey, I'm just FYI, I'm showing up today with a lot of like um, skepticism, not about you, but because of the thing that just happened an hour ago. Yeah. And I, yeah. It's, uh, Anyway, I don't know what I don't know why, where, what triggered that thought, but it, it was something of like I think that that 
I think it's around like making assumptions, right? We make assumptions of the way that someone is acting is because blank. And especially it's like, oh, it's because of something I said. It's like, no, it literally could have been because of something that happened an hour ago before you got into the room. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And I love the element of like taking ownership of that. Because I think so often, not only are we not aware, but then if we're not aware, we don't go as far as to sort of take take sort of ownership of kind of the state that we're we're coming into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's this um, woman, Tara Moore, who wrote a woman's leadership book called Playing Big. I love her work. Um, but she has this um, idea of unhooking from praise and criticism. And the idea is, you know, again, it goes back to kind of schooling and early education. Like so many of us are, we're sort of wired around like, oh, the, the feedback tells me how I'm doing. Like, am I good? Am I bad? And then there, there can be this tendency to either like, over fixate on the feedback at the debt to the detriment of your mental health, not a good path or to ignore the feedback to the detriment of the quality of your work. Right. Like, because no one, no one like comes up with something amazing out of the box. Like you need feedback to iterate. And, make yeah. things better. and so she sort of t- kind of presents this third way, which she calls unhooking, which is seeing like feedback from other people as being very, um, as, as literally in like, basically she says like the feedback tells you about that person rather than mm. talking about you. And so like, um, you know, if like, what does it mean to be a good public speaker? Like, well, I don't know. Are you presenting to an elementary school of fourth graders? Are you at a physics conference? Are you in Switzerland? Are you in Argentina? Like, like it just like, it, there is no thing as like a good presentation. There's a good, a presentation that works for a particular audience. And so the more you're able to interact with feedback, less as an absolute, which can take us to really bad mental health places, and yeah. more as just like interesting information about this stakeholder. And I can decide re- you know, relative to all the stakeholders I'm managing, you know, you don't you can't incorporate everyone's feedback, but if it's a if it's a really critical stakeholder, if it's a you know, a customer or um, le- someone in your leadership chain or whatever it might be like depersonalizing it from being about you um, so that you can just have a, a less personal and more constructive conversation. Mm. And so I've loved that. But, but what, what was really struck me in the example that you gave was like a lot of times I think we have to do that internally. Like we have to re- like people think their feedback is absolute and we have to remind ourselves that it's subjective. And I loved that mm. kind of the way you were talking about coming up to meetings is like people owning their subjectivity, just sort of saying, hey, you know what, I'm fe- I, I tend to feel really skeptical because it seems like we're always launching a new initiative and here's another one. And like that is a piece, of, that's a reality that I'm bringing into this meeting, but it's also subjective. And just um, having ourselves own that a little bit more, I think would lead to way more productive meetings because we're all operating under this illusion of objectivity when you know we're never objective. I think one thing, so I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago about um, um, like how to integrate advice or approaches or whatever from leaders that you respect. And their initial, the way they were talking about it was essentially saying, you know, if there are things that there are, if there are leaders that you like or respect or whatever, and they're doing certain things, like do that. And my, like, my, asterisk on that was do it if it's true to you mm-hmm. because if you're essentially saying like hey you know like I was always a fan of the way that Eric Schmidt was a public speaker um, and the way that he was easily able to connect to audiences and if it's but that also was a gift that he had 
that he obviously worked on. But um, if you're saying to someone, hey, like, just just go do that. Well, if you're the world's gifted writer and you're struggling to connect verbally, it doesn't mean give up on on. I mean, one, I think it means you're not using the gift that you actually also that you have that you should be using. Right. Um, and no, it doesn't mean at the exclusion of doing the, the other way. But I think that the idea of like copy the person who does the thing or whatever, um, it can do a disservice to the gifts that you bring or have or, or whatever. And I think that it's similar to in terms of the feedback, what I was getting at was I used to tell people like, don't take advice from one. Don't take advice from the wrong people and wrong people doesn't necessarily mean like, like there might be someone who is an expert, but that expert had a set of life experiences that made them an expert that might not be the same thing as you. And so mm -hmm. if you are, are, are taking feedback from somebody who they're saying you should do it this way, except the this way is something that they're maybe inherently able to do and you're not able to do, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a flaw with you or that, you know, that, that there's a skill that you must develop or whatever. And it, like my, my favorite, I guess, way to summarize all that was this Bruce Lee quote that I always used to do, which was um, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and add what is uniquely your own. I've never heard that quote. And I love it. Yeah. I, that I would like every class that I would teach, I would start with that yeah. Yeah. just because it's like some of this, like maybe some of this stuff that we're going to talk about is universal, but a lot of it isn't. And a lot of it is just a perspective and it is unhooked. It's this yeah. is stuff that worked for a certain person, me as the teacher or whatever, or that worked for some other people. And I'll get, I, I'm offering tools in a toolbox, but it's like, you know, Hey, one of the tools in the toolbox is like a welder. And if you don't really enjoy welding or you think welding isn't for you, like maybe welding isn't the only way to go and, and hook two pieces of metal together. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love that. Cause I think there's so much, um, yeah, I think we're just constantly being told that we need to be different. You know, you know, you need to develop the skill and of course, right. learning and growing and so forth. But like, but you want to be like, kind of like unveiling what is the actual like humanity and you underneath it all, rather than like trying to morph yourself into something that you're not. Um, and so, um, what is that Einstein quote? We're all, you know, everyone is a genius, but if you, a fish, to, if you judge a fish for not, if it's a fish, fish for, if you judge a fish for not being able to climb a tree. It will feel stupid. That's not quite it, but it's close to yeah, that. It's, it's something <laughs> like that. And I've always, that, I found that very helpful. Yeah. Like if you think about like, if you just take like a bunch of people that are good at anything, you know, like Steve Jobs and, you know, Simone Biles and, you know, Oprah and um, trying to think of someone else and, you know, Bill Gates, like someone else in business. Like if you sort of think of these people that were all excellent in their areas and then you imagine swapping them, like just like how... <laughs> that would be right like you know um bill gates trying to do oprah show or vice versa yeah and, i was and picturing just, yeah like yeah. uh steve jobs as a gymnast instead <laughs> <laughs> that one's better that one's better <laughs> <laughs> but yeah 
there's just the sense of it's very it's kind of the classic like strengths based approach, but just like you're you're never you're only going to be the best version of yourself. Like it, yeah. and kind of I do think it can be helpful going back to like finding leaders you admire. I know in my own career, like um, it can be helpful to see peaks of it, like like just sort of see like oh like this is a leader who is knowledgeable and authoritative and whatever without being a very um, aggressive personality. Like for me, because I'm not an aggressive personality and like to see that modeled was really helpful for me. So I Mm. think, but I love that, that quote of like, you're gleaning the pieces that are helpful, right? And you're not, you're never going to copy paste, um, be, be someone else. And you're sort of just using it as, as ways to find access to who, um, who you are. I mean, I, I think we can talk about this uh, in a, in another episode, but like there, I think one of the things for me, as I was kind of coming up through was like a, um, uh, a lack of, I mean, we can talk a little bit about it now. I mean, um, I think one of the things that was, that, that, that I ran into was when I first started having mental health challenges, there was nobody in senior leadership positions that I could point to as, oh, they they had something similar and did okay. Yeah. Right? And it was like, it seemed, and, and as it turned out, like, there were people. <laughs> I, I was not aware of them, and they were not out, not outspoken about it. Um, but it was kind of like the, Hey, there's a path there. And again, whether it's, there's a path there as, Oh, interesting. I have a, I remember there was someone years ago that we had hired who, um, they mostly had a music background and we had them in a technical role and they were early in their technical career. But, um, as it turned out, like a lot of their music background translated really, really well into the technical work that they were doing. And it was very non-traditional, but it's like, that person probably didn't have an example to point to of like, oh, interesting. My music background actually translates in a way because that person showed that it that it does, and they had to trailblaze, right? Um, and I think this idea just generally of whether it's a skill, whether it's a life experience, whether it's a, a cultural, you know, um, um, gender, like having a, a oh. There's a path, and it doesn't have to be the exact same, right? But there's a path for someone, if I squint, that kind of is like a me-ish or this part of me. There's a version of this part of me that was able to do that thing. Um, I think that the, I think the power of that, especially as you're trying to form, as you're trying to develop and form, you know, like, I mean, this kind of goes back to the conversation earlier about, um, the what step 47 to 48. I mean, I think I would put an asterisk on that too of, Hey, cool. I'm at step two or three or whatever. And like, maybe down the road, yeah, I would like to be at a step 47 or 48. You don't need to know specifically the details of step 47 to 48, but if there's literally no example of someone who's on step 48, that has anything like your deal. I think that can be really, can make it way harder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I so, guess that's that <laughs> for, yeah, for episode so, one. 
that's for episode one. Uh, really excited to be having these conversations. And just to give a flavor of some of the things that we want um, to talk about, in, early on, we'll, we'll have a session on, on the layoffs in tech. That's just so top of mind right now. There's so many people that were either personally impacted or have had friends or colleagues impacted that it's very timely um, to kind of discuss layoffs specifically and career transitions more generally. Um, then we'll broaden a bit and talk about the role of empathy and compassion uh, for ourselves and for each other in the context of the workplace. Uh, we also want to talk about burnout and um, the, the kind of opposite of burnout, which you might think of as sustainable work, or how can we how can we work in a way that's productive but not at the expense of our mental health? So we'll have a in-depth discussion on, on burnout um, in the corporate and uh, organizational environment. And um, another topic that we want to bring is, is looking at organizations from multiple angles. So looking at it from the angle of the manager, the, the, the leader of the team, the member of the team, someone, someone more junior, more tenured, like kind of seeing all these different angles and all these different components of the ecosystem that makes up an organization and, and, and kind of seeing how we, can, how we can zoom out a bit from our own individual role within the organization to see how the system is operating more broadly and how that might inform um, addressing workplace well-being. And that will also lead us into some topics around organizational development and what are some of the best practices about how groups and teams and leaders can work together uh, both to be high-performing teams, but also to do it in a way that is respectful of our ourselves and our humanity and our and our mental health. So, really looking forward to having um, these series of conversations um, with all of you and Daryl, of course, with you, and um, and with some yeah. some wonderful to be named guests that uh, yeah. will join us over the coming weeks slash months, however long this goes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, really excited to bring some 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 great guests on as well. And so we'd also just love to hear from all of you uh, if this was a useful, too long, too short. What would you love to hear about in these general these these themes? Um, and we'll put a link um, in the comments or whichever format uh, you are consuming this in podcast, YouTube, etc., uh, to find out how you can do that and connect with us. Wonderful. Great. All right. We'll nice chatting there. with you, and we will see you all uh, again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Daryl.